Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. 74 Seconds is a new podcast that tells the story of a traffic stop that ended with the world watching a man die live on their phones. It's the story of Philando Castile and the officer who was about to go on trial for his death, Geronimo Yanez. NPR News examines this intersection of race, policing, justice and safety in America. Subscribe right now to 74 Seconds on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Father's Day is here and Sock Fancy makes the perfect Father's Day gift. So gift your dad the joy of unique, awe-inspiring, and sometimes bizarre socks delivered every single month. Shipping is free all over the world, and if you don't like the pair you get, you can send them back and swap for a fresh design. Now's the time. Simply sign your loved one up for a three-month, six-month, nine-month, or year-long subscription, and Sock Fancy will handle the rest. And get an extra pair of socks added to any subscription for free when you go to SockFancy.com slash crime and enter code CRIME at checkout. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a peak true crime documentary from HBO that looks at a super messed up family. (laughs) The movie is called Mommy, Dead, and Dearest. So joining me to dive into that and more is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Mommy. <laughs> oh, gross. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, certified cat lady, and newly minted runner, Laura Bricker. <laughs> Hello, Laura. Hello. I, I wouldn't call it running. It was more like heffalumping and wheezing. <laughs> but I emerged from the woods intact. So there is that. It wasn't like an episode of Tannis where like you came back and you were different. <laughs> well, I was different because I was just like, <laughs> as I was walking out. But uh, no, I, I did. I did survive. <laughs> and finally, joining us is the co-host of Radio Free Dystopia. That's a podcast, by the way. And the author of the City Trilogy of Outstanding Dystopic Noir Novels. Our favorite hater of many things we love, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. What's happening? Well, what's happening, guys? Big announcement. Our long national nightmare has ended. You mean your long national nightmare. (laughs) Oh, boy. Thanks to the many listeners who created fake Rebecca Lavoy Twitter accounts. I believe it was you guys who got it done. Uh, This week, I woke up one morning and had the blue check. And as someone on the other side of the curtain... Yeah. 
it does not make an iota of difference. I knew it wouldn't. I didn't actually want this. I was just mad that I couldn't have it. And it doesn't change anything. I, I, I tend to disagree, Rebecca, because now that you are Twitter verified, A, you can't nag at me anymore about it. But secondly, I think it was because you were verified that you caught the Twitter eye of a certain Rocky. <laughs> Rocky Flintstone. Rocky Flintstone. He actually followed the Crime Writers On account, which is not verified, my friend. He yes. did. Yeah. Rocky Flintstone, I believe, listened to our episode last because he referenced things in the episode. Remind people who Rocky us. is. Rocky Flintstone, of course, is the author of Belinda Blinks, the source material. <laughs> For the greatest podcast of all time that you should not listen to with your children. <laughs> but you do. My dad wrote a porno. And by the way, Jamie from My Dad Wrote a Porno followed me as well. That was pretty exciting. So we think Rocky is actually the dad who wrote the porno. Yes. Rocky, yeah. is, okay. the, Rocky yeah. is the pseudonym. I asked him. Yeah. Have you not actually no, listened no, to no, this no, podcast? No, no, no. I just... <laughs> What I meant was, it wasn't like some PR hack. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, no? Uh, it might have been, because I got kind of a cryptic response when I said, is this the Rocky Flintstone? And I got this sort of cryptic response. So I, it may have been. Maybe I just think British. It's Maybe just a British I just response. like to believe it's Rocky in his solarium. That's fine. <laughs> slash shed. I mean, everybody knows that's not really Toby Ball. I like at to, Toby Ball. I like to that's imagine right. that it's his, it's his, his my team of interns. <laughs> Your social media team. Whatever. Well, Rocky, tweet Rocky tweeted to me at like two thirty England time, right? In the morning, right? Doesn't that seem like so something Rocky would do? Maybe he was having like a uh, the muse had grabbed him. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, you're a writer, you know. out volume six or something. Yeah, you know, he's on a deadline. <laughs> he is. That's right. He is. Rocky Flintstone, man. And so, by the way, I'm so glad you guys are on. I, I feel like, I, I don't feel like this is a new thing. I just feel like people that I know are finally on board with it, and it feels so good. If Kevin, we got to get you on the uh, Belinda Blinks train. I'm glad that you're pushing this other podcast that's not ours <laughs> so heavily. Well, if they're hearing this, we've already won. We've already won, well, yes. Well, speaking of podcasts that aren't ours, Kevin, you made two podcast appearances this week, one of them on like an iTunes Top 5 podcast. Oh, on Convicted, yes. You were wow. you appeared on the iTunes Top 5 podcast Convicted. How did that happen? Well, we know Brooke. Um, <laughs> that's how it happened, to be honest, because we know her. We know Brooke. Brooke uh, and I had been a guest on Actual Innocence, and so this is her new podcast, and she's looking at a case from Baltimore, and they're taking a couple of episodes out of the investigative arc, and they're basically doing like an addendum panel. So it was a gathering of uh, of, of Brooke and some other folks, and... I basically was the the moderator. So you were the John Cryer of Brooks' show. Yeah. <laughs> now I we we have been getting a lot of emails and tweets about whether or not we're going to talk about convicted, and we're not. And Kevin, do you want to explain why we're not talking oh, about convicted? Yeah, it's uh, we have kind of an unwritten rule about an informal policy. Informal policy about <laughs> for our friends and the people that we work with that we'll mention, you know, we're okay mentioning the show and Talking acknowledging them, them but we're we not like going to, yeah, but we're not going to do reviews of them. It's just, it's weird. It Yeah. It's not fair to, well, either to the audience or to our friends who make shitty material. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> and they or, know who they are. No, no, no. Or our friends who make good material. Either, right. Exactly. That also be exactly. And I think as we made an exception last week when we brought in, uh, well, well, we didn't really talk. We didn't pass judgment no. on, on Undisclosed, which is one of the reasons we, we really haven't talked about Undisclosed for a very long time uh, because, Rebecca, while you are not a, a content provider, you do provide 
technical assistance to the podcast. So we kind of, you know, we kind of put it over on that. It would be weird. It would be weird. So It's honestly weird. I mean, speaking of that, one of the things that's also weird and one of the reasons we do fewer interviews on the show now is because now that we're doing more reviews and sort of being critical, it's difficult to talk to somebody and then later in the show say, oh, by the way, I hated this podcast, right? I mean, it's hard for you to talk to them and then for me later to say, (laughs) that was a shitty podcast. So, so, you know, so I now am thinking like, the last person I think we had on the show to talk to was Dan Taberski from Racing Richard Simmons. Mm -hmm. And that was just a straight up good get. And I stand by it and I would have him on Anytime to talk about anything. I love sure. that guy. Sure. And it was also like, it's a great podcast. Like It was like the number one podcast in America at the time. And then we didn't all agree on whether or not we loved, I mean, even Toby, who didn't like the fact the show was made, liked the show. But like, there are people on the show that we've interviewed in the past, and then things happen on their podcast that come up again. And now that we're more critical, it still feels weird to talk about it, because I feel like I do know them, and we have talked to them, but... That being said, for many, many, many listeners who have emailed us and tweeted us and sent us Facebook messages in the last few days about the latest episode of Up and Vanished, I am not making my fellow podcasters listen to it. I listened to it today and I feel your pain (laughs) and I know where you're coming from, but we're not going to talk about it formally on the show because I don't want to crack it open. You want to just tell you what happened? Have you heard about this at all? I saw something on Twitter and it's funny because I, I've mentioned this before. My minister is a huge true crime buff and she had tweeted out something like, uh, hey, Payne, that person is not the suspect that you're interrogating right now. Right, um, right. Yeah. So basically somebody who is, uh, he interviewed a woman who is close to one of the people who was arrested in, in conjunction with the crime and he was very, very, people say, hard on her. And I listened to it, and I don't disagree with a lot of the criticisms of the techniques and the production style and all that stuff, but we're not going to retry the whole thing on the show, because it would just be weird. No, I think people want us to pass judgment. I mean, they're not maybe saying it in that way. Well, let's just say this. We'll do it when it's appropriate. I think it was appropriate to listen to the, um, or to have Toby (laughs) listen to the uh, episode that Jim Clemente did about S-Town, because we had talked about Mm S-Town on the show. Mm -hmm. So this was like another podcast doing a different kind of take that was getting a lot of buzz. And And again, everyone was saying... Well, what do you guys think exactly. about that thing? So and I assigned it to Toby. Yeah, we, <laughs> we keep getting dragged into other people's stuff. No, no, and that's fine. But I don't think it would be cool to when we hear something that one episode of something is like horrible. We're not going to listen to it just because we heard that it's horrible. But just so you know, listeners, I listen to it. I'm with you and I feel your pain. So speaking of pain and our listeners, a lot of people want to know when we're going to talk about the keepers. The answer is next week. Enough with the tweeting about it already. Okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and finally, on the note of pain, we also got a lot of, uh, Kevin, can you say this? Page mail! About something that all four of us 100% did <laughs> on last oh, no. week's podcast. Your fault. Your fault. <laughs> and um, we got a lot of different kinds of uh, flavors, as Kevin would say, of email about this. Some of them were kind and correcting. Some of them were downright angry. And uh, one of them was just like pretty moderate and nice. So I decided to surprise the listener who sent it and um, give him a phone call. So do you want to go ahead and play that, Kevin? Hello. Hi, is this Andrew? This is him. Hi, it's Rebecca from Crime Writers On. Hi, how you doing? Good. Do you mind if I'm taping our conversation? 
That's okay. Yeah. I won't take much of your time. I just wanted to call you to address the email you sent about our show last week. You weren't the only one to send it. And um, it had to do with our pronunciation of a certain city in Maine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So would you mind just for the record telling me how we should have said that city's name? Bangor. Bangor. Not Bangor. Bangor. That's right. Okay. Right. I don't know why we did that. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I know that it's Bangor, but like as I was saying it, I thought that's not right. It's Banger. Like that's what the locals. And I don't know what my problem was. Or maybe it's because I'm so used to that stupid joke, you know, Banger, I barely knew her. You've probably heard that before. <laughs> I don't think I have. <laughs> so you're from Maine? I am. So you're sure that it's Bangor. You're certain. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> I actually... I. I put so much faith into what you guys know, I started to doubt myself <laughs> and actually went online and Googled it. And that's when I found that video. I was like, for 30 years or more, have I been like saying it wrong? You see, for 30 years, you were wondering if you were saying the name of a city in your own home <laughs> state wrong. Yeah. Uh, I went to business school at Duke uh, and I just graduated. So I've been in North Carolina the last two years or so. So it only took two years away from Maine and listening to our stupid podcast to make you doubt yourself. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A crisis of confidence. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for correcting us. We apologize very much to you and to everybody else who lives in Maine and is from Maine. And um, we'll be sure to <laughs> bangor it from now on. Thank you. All right. So thank you to Andrew and to everyone else, all of you who let us know that we uh, did something very wrong there. I look Toby, at Dan fools who are perturbed. Toby, here's my question to you. Yeah. You were the first person after me, if I remember this correctly, when I said something about Banger and you said, that was in Banger? Why yeah. did you do that? Uh, th- there's actually a, a good reason. All right. Which is the only time I've been there was to go to like this metal festival. <laughs> So I got to listen to six different metal bands make banger jokes. And I think it just kind of stuck. When you've heard the lead singer for Papa Roach try to make like three different banger jokes, it's hard to like rid that from your mind. Uh, Laura, you are a lifelong New Englander from Vermont, born and bred. Yes. Why did you say banger? Did I? See, I don't even know if I said it now that I'm thinking, because I know it's Bangor, but I don't know. I think you said it, and I, oh, you know what? I may have said, well, Rebecca, she usually knows how to pronounce things that I don't pronounce, so I may have just gone with what you said. What about you, Kevin? I was following your lead. <laughs> no, you put it, again, I, can't, I, I know that, like, when you said it, it sounded wrong to me. <laughs> And in my head, I said, oh, yeah, people mispronounce that city all the time. And so I thought, oh, it's Bangor. I'm wrong. It's really Bangor. Yeah. Not Bangor. And um, so. Buddy the dog agrees. Buddy the dog agrees. (laughs) Under attack. Bangor. (laughs) Um, And that's actually like an old broadcasting trick, which is like if you get, if you're reading something and you've got the pronouncer of like, 
an obscure town in Czechoslovakia, and it's got, you know, it's impossible to pronounce. You just say what you think it is and keep moving. Yeah. Because if you stop and fumble over it, everybody knows you got it wrong. Right. If you just go right through it, maybe half the people will know that it's not Banger. No, uh, a lot. Of, I think more than half of them Yeah, do. you're right. <laughs> well, this I have to bring up, this brings up one of my own personal pet peeves, so I can understand how these people were so upset because... The town I live in, everybody mispronounces it. Everybody says Exeter. There are no eggs in Exeter right? Mm. where I live. So I I feel their pain about Bangor. Do you think that the people of of Bangor feel like disrespected because we can't even have the decency to know how to say their name? I think it's funny that Laura Laura. cares more about the pronunciation (laughs) of her town's name than her own name. Well, it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Whenever the local TV news station gets a new reporter, I'm like, oh, here we go again. It's Exeter. I hear hear you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Exeter. So so you want the hard X in Exeter? Yes. Phillips Exeter Academy, not Phillips Exeter Academy. There's no eggs in Exeter. One final and very important thing. And this is an ask that I am making to our listeners. Does that include Rocky? It includes Rocky. Okay. I'm making a new podcast. It's coming out like in a couple months. The trailer has dropped. I'm asking our listeners to subscribe because I really think they're going to like it. Uh, it's called mm. HGTV and Me. And it's about me talking to people about weird ass things that happen on HGTV and things that are wonderful on HGTV. And I would not recommend my own show if it weren't coming out so well. So please subscribe right now in your podcast feeds to HGTV and me. You'll be hearing more about it in the coming months. Uh, but the, our first trailer is out. There might be a series of trailers a la Game of Thrones slash Star Wars franchise. Uh, but pre-subscribing, pre-subscribing helps a lot makes, with getting the, the business part of it. It makes going, a yeah. huge difference when I talk about to our like advertising agency about like, our listeners are going to love this show. The way that I can show that is if our listeners actually subscribe to the show. So do me a solid. Go to Google Play or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts right now and subscribe to HGTV and me. It really is doing me a solid. So thanks in advance for that. Sorry for the commercial in the middle of our podcast. Does this mean you guys can come and help me, Rebecca, with my awful L-shaped living room that's such a disaster? No, but it might mean we can come and talk about it. (laughs) 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 Let's move on to tonight's featured conversation, shall we? The HBO documentary film Mommy Dead and Dearest. Mommy Dead and Dearest tells the story of Dee Dee Blanchard. I don't want to mispronounce it, but I did hear it pronounced a few different ways in the documentary. And her daughter, Gypsy Rose, it reveals one of the most devastating and crazy cases of Munchausen syndrome by proxy in modern memory. For decades, Gypsy's mother forced her to undergo countless invasive surgeries, eat through a feeding tube, regularly ingest aggressive medication, appear paralyzed. Gypsy and everyone around her was also made to believe that she was cognitively disabled. Eventually then, with the help of her boyfriend, Gypsy ends up murdering her mother, Dee Dee, in order to escape this abuse. Now, Gypsy is currently serving 10 years in prison. She'll be up for parole after eight and a half years. And the boyfriend with which she allegedly carried out this crime, Nicholas Godajan, is awaiting trial for first degree murder. Now, can we begin with one disclaimer, a bit of transparency? Sure. Last week, you probably heard an ad that we read for Mommy Dead and Dearest. And just so you know, this happens sometimes where our ad agency places the stuff we didn't know was coming. It had no effect on whether or not we were going to 
This is uh, not payola. It, it's not payola. Yes, and <laughs> by I don't God, think our listeners think about that. If we, if it, well, I think they, they want to know. Like, oh, did you? Are you saying this because Next they week, bought an app? Seventy-four seconds. Meantime, a, a billion of them are screaming. <laughs> when are you going to talk about this? So, yeah, yeah. but just like we've done this before, it doesn't happen often. But we're, you know, um, sure. But we might, we might also talk about 74 seconds at some point, and they advertised on this episode of this podcast. That's right. right. Exactly. And so. the, Yeah, it's, un, it's unrelated. So anyway, uh, I want to talk about the underlying syndrome here. And Laura, I know that you have a fascination with it, this uh, Munchausen by proxy. Can yes. you please tell us a little bit about your personal obsession with Munchausen by proxy? <laughs> um, and your well, sons? You know, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not in my personal house. Um, no, I, you know, I first heard about this syndrome when I was like a brand new reporter and I was covering a case, this very bizarre case in which a woman had been, her, her child had been sick and it turned out that she had been feeding the child Windex in mm. its baby formula bottle. And somebody, like one of the cops was like, off the record, they think it could be Munchaus. And I'm like, what the heck is that? So I started doing a lot of research. And- guilt? Yeah, I know. So it's just really interesting to me, these cases and how in so many of them where the the mothers or the caregivers or whoever it is, is deliberately making the person in their care sick so that they can get attention for themselves. But it's just amazing to me the lengths they go to and the fact that in so many of these cases, it goes undetected for so long. You know, what's really interesting to me, just a little bit of background, the syndrome was named after the fictitious Baron von Munchausen. He was known as a man who fabricated stories about his life experiences for attention. The by proxy part refers to the fact that caretakers are making up the symptoms for whomever is under their care and the symptoms don't actually apply. Now, um, it's considered a form of child abuse and there is some debate as to whether or not it's a mental illness or not. Munchausen by proxy syndrome, whether or not someone like Didi, it's more of a personality disorder where they are perpetuating behavior designed to get something from it. Now, Toby, Didi Blanchard got a lot of attention and we know that she got a lot of stuff as a result of this Munchausen by proxy situation that she was uh, putting on her daughter. She got you know, trips to Disney World. We saw a tape of that in the documentary. We saw the fact that they had a house. Habitat for Humanity ha- House. Habitat for Humanity no. House that was you know sort of tricked out for somebody in a wheelchair. You know, We saw that they had neighbors and friends who were feeding them, caring for them, hanging out with them. Do you have an opinion? As, I mean, I, I'm not asking you for like your medical opinion, but when you sort of see this kind of manifestation of it that is so extreme... This girl who is being told not to walk. Do you feel like it's a mental illness? Do you feel like it's a crime? Do you feel like it's some sort of personality? What what does your gut say? I don't think being a mental illness and being a crime is necessarily mutually exclusive in this situation. I don't know. It's a tough one. They don't explore that relationship in a ton of depth beyond sort of what Dee Dee was doing to Gypsy. So I didn't feel like I got a sense about whether it was the kind of thing where Dee Dee loved Gypsy and was just sort of deluded into doing whatever she was doing to make her sick, or whether, and I think this was sort of hinted at by her relatives, that she was just a conscienceless person and was going to basically do what she wanted regardless of what the impacts of on other people were. And I think they, they talked about she was poisoning 
I guess her father's second wife. Allegedly. Her stepmother, yeah. Oh, no, she's dead stepmother. now. You don't have to say allegedly, right? It's Dee Dee's dead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether it happened or not, I don't know. But they referenced that as being something that they believed had happened. Clearly, she was a sociopath or something like that. My guess is the relationship with Gypsy was probably pretty complicated and some mixture of love or devotion or something like that, along with this making her sick and dependent and also drawing attention to themselves. You know, Kevin, one of the things I thought was weird was that the daughter, Gypsy, as much as I think we see evidence that she was abused, I mean, I don't think there's a question about the fact that, mm-hmm. like, getting a feeding tube put into somebody who doesn't need it is a form of abuse. And But the daughter was also... Part of it is kind of what you're trying to get yes, at, right? Yes, I, I want to get to this later. We'll talk about Gypsy's role in being maybe potentially complicit. But she did She did have to play a role, and we see it. One of the most stunning scenes in the film to me is we watch a video that Gypsy made for public consumption of her throwing herself off of that porch into the snow and then dragging herself back to the porch, pretending that she couldn't walk. Now, we hear Gypsy later saying that her mother was treating her this way and doing this thing, and she felt compelled, but she had to participate. What do you think about that? Again, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that there is definitely, if not, you know, this uh, this abiding pressure from her mother to do X, Y and Z. There's also probably some form of accompanying mental health issue that goes along with being the victim of Munchausen by proxy. You know, you are basically a subjugated person. Mm-hmm. There is the ethical and then there's the moral and then there's the legal justifications and excuses. It's, a you know, her, her mother's actions are such a mitigating factor. Right. But is she not also legally a party to fraud when she pretends to be in a wheelchair and accepts a gift to Disney World or something like that. It's hard, but yet we still have a great amount of sympathy. Maybe not every viewer, but I think most of us ended up having a great amount of sympathy for what Gypsy was going through. Now, do you have thoughts about Munchausen by proxy? Is this something that you have ever reported on or seen or thought not about? Not personally, but I have seen it. I mean, I know it's, it's a real thing. I remember. Do you remember in uh, The Sixth Sense... Yes. There was one scene, right? That Misha Barton played the little was that girl. The girl. That was Misha Barton, who wow. later on to be on the OC. Right. She played the little girl that was dead. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, they show up at like the movie. wake. Yes. And they find the videotape that she made of her mom, like pouring something oh, into yeah. her soup, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's how it helped her. So, you know, I've seen it in movies, and obviously it's been in some great movies. But, you know, if you really want to check out some movies or some TV shows that you haven't seen before, (laughs) then you should sign up for MHZ Choice. You know, if you're a victim of Munchausen by proxy and you're just lying around getting your, like... You can't get out of bed. (laughs) You can't get out of bed. You're faking a debilitating (laughs) disease. The best thing to do would be to check out all of the newest crime dramas and mysteries and comedies streamed right to your computer, TV, or favorite device. This is a service that provides you programming from Europe. So the leading edge 
of mystery programming and crime programming that's coming out of France, that's coming out of Germany, coming out of Scandinavia. Ooh, Scandinavia has the good stuff. It, right. <laughs> I mean, what's the next big thing that's going to come? You can watch it now right. on MHZ Choice. The next thing that's going to come is going to be some remake of a Scandinavian thing on AMC, but we can watch the real thing You can now. watch the real thing right now. These <laughs> okay. are all shows that are presented in their original language with English subtitles. Uh, there are some that are are super gritty dramas and crime procedurals, also some that have a little more black comedy kind of flavor to it. The one that I'm watching right now is called, it's a Scandinavian one, the name translates to something, it's, it's rather funny, it's called The Fat and the Angry. <laughs> sounds like many right. of the evenings yeah, right. spent in it's, our house. It sounds like, it's, it's super weird, but it's not, it is very stylized. There's a really great storytelling technique, which is, uh, you know, takes place during a police interrogation, very much like True Detective Season 1. Right. And it's gritty, and it you know it starts off with a credit card fraud operation, and it just goes in places that you don't expect. And it's really, you know, when you talk about, oh, Scandinavian noir, and the style of Scandi noir, why not watch something that actually is Scandinavian noir? Next thing on my list is going to be Agatha Christie's Family Murder Party. It's actually a French show. <laughs> And yeah, funny name. It is funny, and it's a very it's it's again it's a murder mystery, but it's it's kind of cheeky. You'll get that plus an entire MHZ Choice library, which includes over twenty five hundred hours of binge worthy TV for only seven ninety nine a month. Great titles like Spiral, Detective Montalbano, and Vulander. And also TV adaptations of some of the best crime fiction writers in the world, including Agatha Christie, Donna Leone, and Camilla Lackberg. So try MHZ Choice free for 30 days, and after that, you'll save 50% off your first month. So visit MHZ Choice, that's Michael Hotel Zebra, choice.com, <laughs> slash writers, and then use code writers at checkout. That's MHZchoice.com slash writers. Writers, and use code writers. Anything else, Kevin? Yeah, you know, when I want my skin to look its best. You do? I, I Give me that. <laughs> Give me that. Have you ever considered how the skincare products you use affect your health, Kevin? I don't, but I sometimes wonder about you, Rebecca. Well, you might be surprised to learn that over half the chemicals you put on your skin are absorbed into your blood. That Ew. is insane. Oh. So you rub your foundation on and it's really, yeah. I it, don't know. You might want to use Nudu. It is a natural skincare line that is safe and has no toxic chemicals. Its founder, Leanna Ashenden, is passionate about helping women find beauty, health, and happiness without having to sacrifice to achieve it. She was frustrated with a lack of very safe quality products on the market that she could use while she was pregnant, so she created Nudu. The products feel luxurious on your skin. They actually work to combat signs of aging. And I saw a photo of myself today, and I thought, I need to work to combat the sides of aging. So this is just in time. Uh, there's a special natural beauty system and eye cream. For a limited time, Nudu has a 20% off special offer for our listeners. You can order it today and use promo code CRIME at Nudu. That's N-U-D-U dot com. Nudu dot com. Use the promo code CRIME. They have a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. Rebecca, you're looking very pretty today. Are you? Are you? Do you have a little new do on your face I mean, right I now? I tried it a little bit today. Yes. Yeah, thank you, you for noticing. I mean, you always I, look beautiful. It was after but... I saw that photo of myself, I was like, get, the, get me that new do. I'm going to give it a shot. 
Uh, and you can try it too at nudu.com. Use the promo code crime. crime. All right, let's get back to talking about Mommy's Dead and Dearest. I want to talk about the production and the very, very, very true crimeness of this documentary. I felt like when I was watching it, it was a combination of making a murderer, very high quality reported shows where they had all the right people and all the right Mm -hmm. sources with a little bit of like investigation discovery thrown in. It felt like a little peak true crime to me in its storytelling style and its and its filmmaking and the way they conduct the interviews and just sort of the different people we saw. Toby, are you picking up what I'm laying down on that? Yeah, I like for the most part it was it, it seems like it was pretty high quality stuff. Like some of it did remind me of the Casey Anthony, which is I guess the only thing I can compare it to in the discovery type stuff. The picture of Dee Dee was not extremely nuanced. Right. That was the weakest, I think, in terms of like the depth, right? But they tried. They did did get her parents or her her dad. Yeah, but they didn't, you know, I guess my feeling is based on everything that they said about her, that reading between the lines, there must have been something going on. And I'm not not talking about necessarily abuse or or whatever, but that there's got to be something more to it than just she's evil and does terrible things. Right. So it was very interesting that nobody in her family seemed to care she was dead. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, that was, I've never seen that. And I, you know what else I've never seen? A blue ass kitchen. Like oh the my one God. that her, <laughs> it almost looked like, so there was this shot for our listeners who haven't yet seen the show. They interviewed Dee Dee's dad and stepmother. I guess it's her, or it's his dad, her dad's wife. I don't know if, and she must, they must've been married when Dee Dee was still alive. So her dad yeah, and stepmother. Yeah. And they're sitting in the kitchen in their house and there's like bright blue tile on the floor and bright blue walls and bright blue cabinets and bright blue. It looks like a Wes Anderson, like you can't make it up, Chip right? and Joanna would not approve. <laughs> Chip and Joanna not approve. That's HGTVpodcast.com, by the way, if you want to uh, subscribe. We got a podcast. website and everything. All right. Laura, Laura what, what did you think? I mean, I was watching this the whole time I was watching it. All I could think of, because I, I do watch the things that we watch and I, I know we're going to talk about on the show with sort of an ear or an eye toward what are Toby and Laura going to think of this. <laughs> the entire time I was like, Laura Bricker is going to freaking love this. Did you? The the kitchen or the show? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, you have to weigh in on the kitchen because I know you have thoughts about that. Well, I have to tell you, I wasn't paying as much attention. I was looking at their footwear during that scene. Oh, yeah. I was, Me too. I was like, why is she wearing, she's wearing, the, the wife was wearing very practical shoes. He had like socks. Anyway. But, Did they um, not know I they don't. were coming? Is that why they were dressed like <laughs> that? Well, they moved all the furniture out of the room. They obviously knew they were coming. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I really loved this documentary because I feel like, and I've said this before, a lot of the true crime shows that we watch, I feel like... We're seeing the same story told over and over, and it's not to belittle, you know, someone's life, but it's like the husband kills the wife because he's cheating on her and he wants to leave her. And it's like, after a while, that's not captivating because you've heard the story before. And this story, I was like, whoa, where is this one going next? And I actually thought this could have been longer than it was. Like, it could have been broken up into a few more episodes so that they could have gone deeper into Dee Dee's psyche and her past. And I wanted more of this one because all of the people in it were so fascinating to me. And I was just like, it was very interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Dee Dee Gypsy dynamic and some of the more interesting aspects that we see. This is this mother and this daughter. The documentary begins with basically the murder. 
Yeah. And it shows... Interesting choice. We'll talk about that. I mean, I think the big shock for a lot of people would be that Gypsy Lee can walk. All right? <laughs> I mean, that was... A lot of people are like, I don't care that Dee Dee's dead, but God damn it, Gypsy can walk. Um, and so that gets revealed right, right off the top. Well, describe I, how... It, for our listeners who haven't seen the documentary, just describe a little bit about how it's structured it starts off, I think we're see, we're seeing the police interrogation. We don't know much about what happened other than the fact that police... That, that they found confr- a dead woman. Yeah, so they confront Gypsy. Then it's sort of told that she and, and her mother had been living this lie all this time about how she was supposed to be, I guess, an invalid and... But that she was cancer, and she had muscular dystrophy, and she had seizures, and she had all these other things. Right. They reveal everything right. in the first few minutes. Mm-hmm. The documentary does. They, they they reveal that Gypsy was complicit in the murder, and yeah. with her, they reveal everything. Right. They don't look that that builds at all to right. any sort. And you were very surprised. By I that. was surprised by that, but it wasn't necessarily a bad choice. I think some people might have gone on and started like you know. The first half hour is their life and how hard their life was. And then all of a sudden, someone spills the beans. But what they held back, which was good for the rest of the narrative, is this secret life that was beyond just the fraud of the Munchausen by proxy. Now, one of the most interesting aspects of this story, and when we have pitched books to publishers or when you like talk about a case that may or may not be interesting for TV, is... Who can you get to talk mm-hmm. to you? Uh, they had a lot of people. They have Gypsy herself, which is extraordinary because she's in, in prison for, you know, she ended up making a deal. They have all the prosecutors. They have the defense lawyer. Most interestingly, they have Gypsy's dad and his wife. So they have this sort of what I see as a potential alternate life that she could have lived because we see the man that, you know, Gypsy's mom, Dee Dee, had Gypsy with. And we hear a little bit about the fact that they got together when they were very young. And they got, and you sort of see the other side of what it could have been. And I found him to be a fascinating character. Laura, Laura what did you think of Gypsy's dad and, and his wife in this documentary? I, I have to tell you, I was, I was really kind of surprised because he came he was so normal and reasonable and kind and articulate. And he seemed to... Uh, grasp everything that was going on. And he had this genuine sort of, you know, heartache for the fact that, like you said, had he maybe known what was happening, he could have stopped it. But I, I guess the contrast between him and Dee Dee, you know, I looked at Dee Dee, and then I looked at him and I'm like, I just could not imagine the two of them having anything in common aside from the fact that, you know, they must have had some fun times together to have a child (laughs) once at least. Um, But just the contrast between the two was what kept coming back to me as I was watching this because, you know, he was just so reasonable and down to earth. And, you know, it just didn't seem at all like somebody that would have been connected with Didi. So that that's kind of what was going through my head. I have a slightly different take on him in that like he comes across as very likable and I think also the fact that he, you know, was sort of understanding of the dynamic that had happened and therefore was able to see her as a victim probably more so than than a perpetrator. Wait, you mean his daughter, not his ex, it, his ex-wife? Yeah, his daughter. But I, I think the thing that it seems to me like he was a little bit derelict 
in that he's the other parent. Right. You know, even though they were away, like regardless of how estranged I was from my ex-wife or whatever, if I had a kid who was seemed to be that seriously ill, you know, I just feel like I would be more concerned about it and more involved. And it sounds like they had one meeting where she was scared of him and he was like, Ugh, that sucks. And then moved on with his family until, you know, this tragedy happened. So I, I sort of felt... I felt bad for him in that it's got to just come out of the blue that your daughter hasn't actually been sick, that she's being poisoned by, you know, your ex-wife for years and years and years. But it did seem to me he, he went a whole bunch of years without being very involved in his daughter's seemingly terrible illness. When, when he expressed regret at the end, I mean, I think he was sort of owning up to that. You know, I, I felt a couple of things about that. One was that I don't think the documentary did a great job explaining sort of the timeline of their breakup and how she was able to sort of leave town and estrange him that way. I do think there is something to, he does describe them getting together when he was very young. He had no idea what he's doing. And it's sort of like, well, this is what her mom says is going on. It must be what's going on. But the bigger mystery for me, and I guess other people too, because some of them appear in the documentary, is how do you convince so many doctors to treat a child for illnesses Mm -hmm. you would imagine you would need like corroborating diagnoses on to do things like install a feeding tube and the surgery where they said they brought her stomach lining up and like put it in her neck the idea that you could pull the wool over doctor's eyes, mm-hmm. to me, adds credence to the pulling the wool over the dad's eyes. Kevin, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't blame the dad for being misled if she was she smart she enough a to tube. mislead all these doctors into sort of a medical Ponzi scheme. where I can't get a doctor to give my kid antibiotics when I yeah, right. eat it's, them, you know? Yeah, no, just uh, just, just some Tylenol. Because, no, right. it's, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's viral. It's and, not yeah, And unfortunately, that was, I think, you know, even less than their explanation of Dee Dee's personality, the explanation for how this medical, I don't know, maybe malpractice is not the appropriate word, but, you know, how doctors could have continued to have missed this and enabled it was a paragraph on the screen. Well, we also had the doctor who actually did. Right. Yeah. He and being the exception. And it was brave of him because he's basically putting himself out there he, he, as to why he didn't. He is. You know, I mean, I think probably like the slightly, like, you know, you could slightly admonish him by saying, I think you are, a requ- aren't you a required he did. Reporter. But he put it in the report. He reported it. But he never in a followed medical up. report? Or but he, he put never, it in, but he in never the followed social... Up. I mean, he was the only one that put anything together and tried to do anything medically. Or that they talked to. I Like, the lawyer goes through and he's reading all these things and, like, yeah. it's always per the word of the mother. Right. Right? I, I, could, I couldn't tell if that was like, oh, well, that's like a totally legitimate way of, you know, having this be diagnosed or whether that was kind of doctor code for... Not too sure about this. But here's the thing. If I move to a new town and I go to a new doctor and I say, my kid has cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. and the medical records are on their way. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting them transferred, but I have a 20 year history of blah, 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 blah. And you say that the doctor is going to put that in the file and then it's documented. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. See, yeah. but that's why 
like again, I I, I don't want to like put this on the dad because that that's clearly he he's not the problem, but he was the person who was in a position to be like, wow, they move all the freaking time. She's always sick, you know, all this stuff. And when I knew her, she was like a healthy little baby. It wasn't like a matter of being like Sherlock Holmes sitting in his study at home, but just being more more involved in the life to some extent of his daughter. I mean, I don't necessarily think just the fact that she's moving all the time and that she's very sick you know, that may not have registered because there is a lot of people in the population that do move a lot for financial issues and they they're were more rich transient, people, right? Yeah. And I think that culturally, you know, if if you grew up in a poorer area where people are more transient like that, it's not something that's going to trigger a warning bell, you know. I'd imagine it's very hard for a physician to look at a mother when you're when the child comes in in a wheelchair. With those giant, like, missing teeth situations. Yeah, you know, things that are happening. Uh, you know, that your first instinct would be she's fibbing. Although, you know, the physical evidence was there to disprove her, I think, you know, when you, you meet a new patient and you're taking their medical history, you do take it at face value and it's, you make a stronger case when you're playing the part. So here's what I think that Dee Dee did that was brilliant. She divided the care among many doctors, mm-hmm. many, which I don't think is atypical. It's not different. It's not much different than a drug seeker, frankly, oh, who's yeah, like going yeah. to many different doctors and telling. She had her daughter not only in a wheelchair, she had a feeding tube put in. So there's like some credibility built into that, right? Like if you walk into a doctor's office and you have a feeding tube, the assumption of that physician is another physician put that feeding tube in. Yeah. That I don't believe. I just do not know how that got done. Laura, what yeah. do you think of this? That's not elective surgery. Laura, can you get your kid antibiotics when a doctor doesn't want to give them? Am I crazy that this was like an amazing fraud that this woman was No, able it to is. Off? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I've had, I've, I mean, we have like a great family doctor and, you know, I'll call him on the phone and say, hey, you know, we need something. And he'll be like, well, I, I really need to see you in the office, you know. <laughs> so the feeding tube thing astounds me as well. The fact that that was actually put in and nobody caught on to that. I mean, that's major. That's that's not like, oh, I'm going to stick some poison in her food so she's a little sick. It's That's a pretty major undertaking. I mean, that took some work. Was it ever determined how all of this medical care was paid for? Probably Medicaid, I'm guessing, some of it. Some it was it. government assistance or Maybe. something like that. Maybe. But by the way, we also saw a scene where she was at Disney World eating mashed potatoes. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't eat mashed potato. You can't eat, like, she has a feeding tube, and she's also, it's like, it was. Oh, snap. Well, the timeline was a little weird, I because didn't I didn't understand in. when she had the feeding tube put in, because I, I there were a couple of videos where she was eating. I think she was eating pretty much the whole time the feeding tube was a, an, like, it's sort of an artifice thing. Now, I want to talk wow. about another character we're introduced to uh, in the film. That is Gypsy's internet boyfriend. That's Nick Godijan. I think I'm pronouncing that close enough to correct. <laughs> uh, who we see being interviewed by the police, and then we also hear described by Gypsy, and then we see their internet interactions. Kevin, my impression of Nicholas Godijan is that he is a troubled young man with something that he already is sort of carrying with him. I don't want to like diagnose somebody I've never met, but uh, he strikes me as somebody maybe a little bit on the spectrum. I think that they did. Someone did said that? that is autistic. Uh, yeah. And then also from, you know, circumstances that are less than ideal. 
and a troubled person who then actually did stab a woman to death at the behest of his internet girlfriend. What are your impressions of Godijan and what we learn about him? And does he remind it, you of anything? Yeah, it actually is funny. <laughs> We're sitting there and said, I, I turned and said, this guy's Seth Mazalia, who is the, um, the bad guy in our last book, Dark Heart. There were similarities. There are a lot of similarities, and also some some similarities from one of our first books, Our Little Secret, both which have to do with teenage boy and girl, what their relationship are like, and what they're willing to do for each other. A little correction: they're not teenagers. She's pretending to be. She's a teenager. Prete- she's right. That's weird too. She's pretending to be a teenager. Yeah. So where they both have this fantasy world, which includes BDSM. I don't know if Gypsy really was into that or she just went along with that. They don't really not really clear. They're not really clear on that, but it is a non-conventional relationship to say the least. I do wonder though. This is this is like one of the things like I can't get over. How does a girl who the community believes cannot get around without a wheelchair suddenly able to obtain a pink wig and lingerie? <laughs> How did she, did she just like sneak out the back, hop on a bus, go to Kmart? Not to mention hundreds of dollars to bring, Frederick's, go to Jean. Yeah, I don't know how she town. paid for it. I, I'm just like. There were, did, there were some holes there. There were a couple holes in the understand. plot there, yeah. You know, one of the things that I thought about was that, you know, go to Jean wasn't interviewed for the film, which makes sense because he's still. He's on trial this spring, they say. Exactly. He's still going to be on trial. But now this is where I, I started to, to wonder. And I feel like. And we'll talk about sort of the justice part of this in a minute and how I think overwhelmingly fair the prosecution was in this case compared to many other crime things we've looked at. This listening to Godijan talk, seeing his affect, getting a sense of how he communicates and how he was communicated with by this young woman kind of made me start to doubt the veracity of the 100% sympathetic gypsy that we had thus far in the show kind of been exposed to this baby talking victim of her mother's Munchausen by proxy. We now we see a a young woman who is communicating in a very adult manner who is posing in lingerie as Kevin mentions who is having a guy do her bidding getting rid of, you know, the mom. She's, like, pretending on her own admission that she's just being super normal that night, painting her mom's toenails, and basically really puts this murder in play. That's really when I started doubting the veracity of that, when I saw his affect and his kind you of... You can't be judging his... We've already capacity. been burned by no, I know, the affect of... But it uh, made me wonder about her culpability and... Whether or not the gypsy that we had come to that point documentary believe is a 100% pure victim. Yeah. Laura, what do you think? I agree. Because I, I found myself thinking, you know, I was feeling very sympathetic towards her. I was thinking, oh, these are the defense cases that, you know, you feel like you can do something good because here's somebody in a horrible situation because of how they were treated prior to this. But then we get into this, like, the you know, the back and forth little messages and the photos. And I'm thinking... How, if she's been so isolated and so sick, is she so aware of all of this sex and Facebook and dating? And it just seemed to me that she was a little bit more savvy than we had been led to believe at that point. And that feeling carried on, and we'll probably talk about that as as the you know show progressed after that. But that, that was the first part where I started to kind of think, 
she seems a little bit more sly, not sly, but a little more savvy than than we were led to believe. Now, I know, Toby, it's uncomfortable to blame Gypsy in this situation, especially given that, you know, she's been, I mean, she definitely is a victim of her mom. But what do you think of that sort of disparate portrayal of her in the various parts of this documentary? You know, again, I, I got to sort of put on the fiction writer cap. You know, you think about her as being both isolated. You know, she she primarily has one person who is always there when she interacts. Like they, they talk about how Dee Dee was always like holding her hand when other people were there. Mm-hmm. Sort of intimate that maybe she was giving her messages by pressure and stuff. So Dee Dee is, is sort of omnipresent when other people are around. Dee Dee is the only person she's around very often. And then it kind of comes out. I mean, she mentions that when Dee Dee goes to sleep, she goes on the internet. Gypsy goes on the internet. So I think when you have a combination of this like extreme isolation and control, and then when that's let off, you just go on the internet and the internet's at your fingers. And that's really your other way of interacting with the world. My guess is you'd come up with some pretty weird stuff. If you, if you don't have a framework to interpret what you're looking at, it's not hard to find porn, even by accident, on the internet. Like you guys were talking about Seth Mazzalia. What this reminded me of was Beware the Slender, Slender Man, Man, yeah. where you have you know these two outsiders. They're a team of two. And in Beware the Slender Man, they have that, I don't know if she was a counselor or whatever, saying... If there had been more people in this group, you wouldn't have had this sort of self-affirming or, you know, mutually affirming fantasy about this stuff. And that that, that kind of seemed to be what was going on with these two. So I, I just think her upbringing and her experience was so unusual. And then in something that's, you know, it's new, you know, it's just in our time where you can be that isolated, but at the same time, be able to access so much stuff through the Internet that we probably end up having a pretty strange view of the way the world works and what goes on. It's funny because when I watched the movie, and I think, Laura, you had the same experience, I felt like most of my sympathy was going toward Gypsy and that, you know, as messed up as she was, like with the fake baby voice, which then she could sort of modulate at will, and then we see like her being very composed in her stripes. By the way, WTF with the jails and prisons that still do those big striped outfits. Like, that is so freaking weird. The Hamburglar yeah, outfit? Like, so you do the pumpkin suit or the like, Hamburglar? It's like, I, the, the whole like 1930s vibe of like what inmates have to wear, it just kills me. And it's like always like these Midwestern jails and prisons that seem mm-hmm. to like love the stripes, right? It's so weird. Anyway, but you see those sort of disparate people and you see how she says to the interviewers in the documentary I haven't even told my lawyers the truth but I'm going to tell you the truth and here we have this lawyer that we see advocating for her like voraciously with the prosecutor and with her dad like doing these deep dives into all these records and she admits to the cameraman and the producer in the room that she's been lying to him and then we see this man who, yes, he had some, you know, less than conventional se- sexual predilections, maybe. He clearly has some challenges, I think. I don't think he is as bright as Gypsy. I don't think he is quite as 100% there as other characters in the film, potentially. And I wondered, in a couple of days after I watched this, 
How much of the murder was the result of her manipulation of him? You know, I had the same I had the same feeling, but mine was more like I started, you know, once I, I initially watched it. You know, the first thing I was like, I'm like, God, this poor girl. Oh, my gosh. You know what she's lived through. But then I, I kind of thought about it and I'm like, hmm, as I was watching how she was handling the interview in the courtroom and I was watching how she was interacting with her father when he came in for their contact visit. And the cops and was, when they first questioned her. Right. Yeah. And, and I was listening to this and I was starting to sort of doubt her more and I was starting to think maybe there was more going on with her than we initially realized or or more than I realized because I was caught up in the sympathy factor there but then I started thinking about you know honestly if her you know main source of social contact was her mother who as we learned from the people uh, you know in her hometown was like a master manipulator and a liar and a you know basically like a con woman it's not necessarily her fault. That's the experience that she's had. And that's what she's modeling herself after, which is the person that she's been around. The a sociopath, most. maybe. Like, maybe. Cause, yeah. Because Dr. Feldman, that um, Munchausen expert in the movie, he does say that she might have some degree of sociopathy. But he also still believes she's a victim of Munchausen by proxy. And maybe the sociopathy is a part of that, being a victim yeah. of that. It's it's complicated. You know, one of the things that happens in this movie, unlike just about every other true crime thing we've ever talked about, is we have a sympathetic prosecutors who sort of understand that this is complicated and messed up and maybe throwing 100 percent of the weight of the law against prosecuting this girl who's been a victim her in the entire two decades of her life isn't the right move. Do you think that was surprising, Kevin, to see? Yeah, I mean, I think that this might be an example of when the system works, I dare say, because I think that while not letting Gypsy skate, uh, it does hold her accountable, but in a merciful way by giving her a not insignificant sentence. But, I mean, I guess this could be a capital crime. They don't say it, but I'm assuming that, that part of her deal is that she has to testify against her ex. I'm going to be paying attention to that, just You're, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> True um, crime update coming but, your way, guys. Yeah. Yeah. You you saw, you know, both the defense attorneys and the prosecutors and sort the of cops. Go, go in with this sort of open eye that this is an unusual case. There are many mitigating circumstances in her particular case. Well, I know we've talked about this a lot, but this film was very much based on an article that came out in BuzzFeed by a writer who's featured in the documentary who talks about it. I remember it being circulated and everyone saying, like, holy crap, this is the craziest thing ever. And um, I think this documentary perhaps lives up to the craziness of the case. But I'm just curious. I'll start with me because I know where Laura's going to (laughs) go. The thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you recommend to our listeners that they watch Mommy Dead and Dearest from HBO? Uh, Our listeners who enjoy true crime, apps of freaking lootly thumbs up. This is a peak true crime in its presentation in the absolute nuttiness of the case. There are many times in the documentary, despite all of the things that we have revealed on this show, where you will still be surprised and you will still be like, 
oh, I can't believe that. And look at that kitchen floor in those old people's houses. Trust me, it's beyond <laughs> it really belief. Is blue. I think it's worth a watch. I give it a thumbs up. Laura Bricker, um, spoiler alert, I'm guessing you're going to give it a thumbs up too? <laughs> I am going to give it a thumbs up um, just because this, this has all the elements that I look for in a crime story that's going to hold my interest. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's somebody that's leading kind of a double life or a secret life and hoodwinking everybody. And there's a lot of unexpected things that happen. And the dynamic is different. It's not just like a husband and a wife. It's this mother and daughter dynamic, which is something that we don't see as often. What about you, Toby? What do you think about Mommy, Dead, and Dearest? Would you recommend to our listeners that they watch it? I'm pretty conflicted. It's well made. To me, it it's just, it's too sad. I, I just found the whole thing just really kind of depressing and upsetting. And just for that very reason... I have a hard time like recommending it. So I'd give uh, somewhere between thumbs sideways and thumbs down, but it's not really a comment on the quality of the documentary. It's more, I, I just found the subject matter to be probably the most sort of sad and depressing thing that we've covered. Bleak, I think is how you described it in an email to me. Bleak. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? I, I give it a uh, a thumbs up. I think if you're a true crime fan, you should... Pop a bag of popcorn. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of juicy stuff here. There's a lot of juicy stuff. You know what it what? is? It's like that episode of Little House in the Prairie where Nellie is pretending to be in the wheelchair. <laughs> oh. Which I know you can't relate to, but I hear that Laura Bricker does. Oh I've my seen gosh. It. I used to watch that show every single day. That, I hated Nellie. That, I hated her. But that oh shit moment where people realize that she could walk, yes. even though I'm spoiling it right now. Do you not agree, Kevin Flynn, that that is a reason why people should watch this? Documentary? Yeah, yeah. So just so you know, no one is going to push Gypsy down a hill into a <laughs> pond. You did see that episode. Yeah, it's a class. <laughs> I might have seen one my whole life, and that's what it would have been. What was the name of the horse that Laura owned that Nellie basically stole from her? I don't know. Bunny. Okay, go ahead. Bunny. All right, great. <laughs> we have the we have the makings of another podcast. I was just going to say, I think that you could, yeah, that true crime fans will really enjoy it. That you should make some time. Sit back uh, in your chair, put it on your big TV, and if uh, it's not dark enough in the room, you just pull down the blinds from Select Blinds so you have the perfect atmosphere. No way. Yes, Select Blinds is having a big Memorial Day sale. Oh my God, that was an amazing transition. Why, thank you. What's also amazing, see, I'm going to keep doing this, what's also amazing are the deals that you can get from SelectBlinds.com. So take advantage of Select Blinds' amazing Memorial Day sale with deals on high-quality quality custom blinds, shades, and shutters. Now, for your added peace of mind, their specialists will walk with you through how to measure, choose, and install your own windows. <laughs> yeah, your own windows. Oh, I read that wrong, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Soup to nuts. Soup to nuts. <laughs> now get that saw. Bring your ladder, select blinds. <laughs> Okay, hold on to the glass. Okay. For added peace of mind, their specialists will walk you through how to measure, choose, and install your new window coverings. And you can get back to the important stuff like lounging around, watching great true crime documentaries, and enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. So shop this Memorial Day sale today at selectblinds.com for these amazing deals on blinds, shades, and shutters. Mention our show at checkout. What's the name of our show? Crime Writers on. Mention our show at checkout and get sample swatches of the free room darkening blinds or shades of your choice absolutely free. Selectblinds.com. Selectblinds.com. 
I feel like n- nobody else on this podcast was as impressed with that transition as I was. No, I was. That was very smooth. It wasn't even like one where I was like, oh, seriously, Kevin? No, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think he's doing an ad now. He sort of snuck I, in. I, I guess I just have so much respect for his game at this point. <laughs> I feel like I'm in peak form. That, it just seems like a diss to be surprised when he pulls something like that. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. I thought it was really good. Congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations I to I thought the music our... playing in the background would have been a clue. I had that later. <laughs> you know that. But I just want to say to Select Blinds, thank you for coming back and sponsoring this podcast once again. Because transitioning into Select Blinds ads, it's like such a good fit in a weird way, always. Whether it's Richard Simmons hiding from the world, <laughs> or Adnan Syed hiding from the world, or our listeners hiding from the world because they're watching something embarrassing on HBO. I mean, you know, Gypsy could not have taken those boudoir sexy photos. If she didn't have select blinds? Yeah, they must have had a lot of select blinds at that house if she was still walking around. Real question, before we get to the crime of the week. Toby Ball, would you name your child after a famous stripper? No. I would name a, I would name a cat. <laughs> You know, One Gypsy of our many cats. Yeah. Actually, in real. Well, life. hey, now I named my daughter Champagne. What are you saying? <laughs> She's destined for yes. the poll. Hey, yeah. listen, my son Ron Jeremy just turned this podcast down. Oh my God! All right, oh. now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast—a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. Brace yourself, guys. Because in the last couple of years, Florida has had at least five people arrested on charges that include some form of inappropriate defecation. (laughs) The latest Floridian accused of crappy behavior is Caitlin Patricia Faleggi, who was 18. She was arrested on April 25th after allegedly breaking into and damaging her ex-boyfriend's home, according to the Tampa Bay Times. A Pinellas County Sheriff's deputy who was driving Faleggi to jail said... She then allegedly pooped in the back of the squad car. A little bit came out? or The deputy said Faleggi intentionally removed her pants and pooped all over the police cruiser. Oh. The poo-stained oh. patrol car was out of commission for eight hours while inmates were forced to clean it up. According to the Associated Press, that's a whole different conversation. That that's, seems unconstitutional to me. And the total damage was estimated gang. at just $100. You know why? Why? Inmate labor apparently is like cheap. And yes, it also Oof. seems unconstitutional yeah. to me too. And also Scotch Guard. Ugh. Faleggi has since been charged with criminal mischief, burglary, and simple assault, according to the Tampa Bay Times. If the accusation sticks, she joins a rogues gallery of Floridians who have made their mark with poop. Now, here's my question. Let's put aside the fact that she trashed her ex-boyfriend's house. Let's put aside the unconstitutionality, potentially, of having inmates clean Why defica- is that? Why is that unconstitutional to whom? Cruel and unusual punishment, man. Okay, if you if you want to make that claim, it's very it's it possible. also is exposing them to all sorts of like potentially hazardous inmate labor materials. Is, no. Inmate labor is not I good. Don't, think, don't I, defend inmate labor on this podcast, Kevin. They have enough poop problems in the jail. With this they can break un- big rocks into little rocks, <laughs> or they can go and wipe up some poo. Okay, here's my question. Yeah, in New Hampshire, they make license plates. True story. Yeah, unconstitutional. Keep going. If someone pooped on purpose in your car, Laura Bricker. <laughs> Would you get it professionally cleaned and detailed and then just move on with your life? Or would you buy some gasoline and set that thing on fire immediately? (laughs) What do you think, Laura? Um, Well, you know, I'm one of these people that if something has happened, 
like any it doesn't have to be poop it can be any kind of incident i will like smell something for like five years afterwards so (laughs) i think i would get it professionally detailed and cleaned and then i would go trade it in and i would not disclose what happened i would just (laughs) trade it in and get a new car what about you toby ball are you like laura unable to move on from a defecation incident in your car or do you buy a can of gasoline and set that thing on fire in your driveway well, my, my experience with this is that my uh, roommate's girlfriend threw up in the back of my car one time. <laughs> All right, that's close. And that, that took a while. Um, but what I'd probably do is get it professionally cleaned, and then I would donate it to the NHPR car donation. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is a thing. seven seven cars for kids. And by the way, we're about to enter a fun drive. If you want to donate to my local public radio station, you go to NHPR.org to do so. Kevin Flynn, uh, someone poops in your car on purpose? What's the game plan? Professionally clean, moved on? Oh, forget the poop stains. I'm going to be worrying about the blood stains, the person I kill. <laughs> what did you think? What do you think I would do? Oh, you'd burn that mother. I would. You'd How do you think I came up with that alternative? Like yeah. buy a can of gasoline and burn it in the yeah, car? Yeah, in fact, I think you have a can of gasoline standing by just in case it happens. True fact. I can't even eat like a French fry. No. Well, no, you can eat a French fry. Just take the bag out of the car and put it in the trash. Like if one falls down? For the love of God, if you drink a Snapple, bring the jar with you <laughs> out of the car and throw it away. But that's what the cup holder's for. You and your muffin tops... Like you literally mean literal muffin tops. He eats the tops and leaves the stumps in the little muffin wrappers. I haven't had a muffin <laughs> in years. I once found, I am not kidding you, about 11 Dunkin' Donuts bags, each of them with a single muffin stump in it, in the back of Kevin's car. Do you know how many I, calories I saved by not eating I them? almost bought a gasoline can <laughs> that know. day. You can buy little baking pans, Kevin, so you can just get the muffin top. Oh. You don't even have to have the body of Says the muffin. Says Martha Stewart. Isn't that like what mm-hmm. a scone is, really? I no, mean, it's not no. the same. No, 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 these are specialty muffin top pants. Top of the a- muffin to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's two Seinfeld references right there. The True. smelly car yep. and the muffin top. Did you just take it, it out? There's oh, three. There's three. Lar Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week. After several weeks of other animals, I, you know, I have to return to my roots here. We have Sebastian the Thug Cat. And <laughs> wow. So Sebastian the Thug Cat, who's like sitting in his chair, like all pimped out because he just knocked over the laundry basket, kicked <laughs> the router off of his mother's desk and broke the Internet. Like a but boss. But he looks completely, un- yeah, he is the boss. He's completely unconcerned with all of this. So uh, that's Sarah Sunshine's cat, Sebastian. All right. If you want to submit one of your animals to be Laura's cat or other animal of the week, Laura Bricker, how can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you, maybe find out a little bit more about what you guys are talking about this week on Radio Free Dystopia, that amazing podcast you've been putting together. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And how can they follow your other podcast? It's at RF Dystopia. What's your topic or this week, Toby, on that podcast? This week it's going to drop a little bit late, but we are talking about the role of news and journalism in a dystopia. Well, that's appropriate, I think, this week, given all that's been going on with the breaking of glasses and all. Kevin yes. Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you, how can they find you? 
I am at Kevin P. Flynn, yada, yada, yada. And if you want to tweet with me at my Twitter verified, thank you very much, listeners, account, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. That is also my handle on Instagram if you're interested in seeing funny pictures. Unverified on Instagram. <laughs> if you're interested in seeing pictures of my dogs and my children, follow me on Instagram at Reb Lavoy. Also, you can follow at HGTV podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And please do subscribe to that podcast because, like I said, selfishly, it makes a difference to me personally. If you want to follow this show on Twitter, it's at Crime Writers On. We're also on Facebook. We love our Facebook peeps. I feel like we don't talk about them enough. Look for us there. Chat with other podcast fans. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, buy stuff using our Amazon link. Maybe we'll do some Amazon items next week when we're talking about keepers. doesn't cost you a penny more if you want to do that, but a tiny piece of what you were going to buy anyway goes to support this show. If you listen on iTunes, which has recently been rebranded Apple Podcasts, rate and review this show. It helps us stay on the charts. While you're there, subscribe to all of our other shows. Our handsome line producer is the budding filmmaker, Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble. And yes, that song was performed in 13 Reasons Why by the jazz band on that show. But ours wasn't done by the jazz band. It was done by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in Square X Studio at Partners in Crime Media. It used to be called Studio C. And before that, it was a closet in our basement. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I see uh, Bricks. Where, where's Rocky? I'm right here. Oh, I, I was Rocky. doing something. <laughs> hey, Rocky tweeted at me this week. Rocky's amazing. Yeah, I, I tweeted with him a little bit, too. <laughs> a little more fun than tweeting with Jim Clemente, eh? Yes. <laughs> Thanks to MHZ Choice for sponsoring today's podcast. MHZ Choice features European mysteries, dramas, and comedies streamed right to your computer, TV, or favorite device. Try MHZ Choice free for 30 days, and after that, you'll save 50% off your first month. Visit mhzchoice.com slash writers and use the code writers at checkout. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super secret hiding spots so i can kill time in here by streaming my favorite ha found you how you left to find my tablet on get wall-to-wall wi-fi on the xfinity 10g network restrictions apply not available in all areas actual speeds vary